God, thank you for just you being you. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. We thank you that you are always present. We thank you that you never give up on us. We thank you that you are consistent, Lord, that you are persistent, that when we run, Lord, you don't leave us. You never stray away, God, that you never sleep nor slumber. We thank you that you are a good God, not by man's definitions, but you are God, so you are naturally good. We thank you, Lord, that you love us unconditionally. We thank you, Lord, that you are a keeper. We thank you, Lord, that grace and mercy covers us. God, we just thank you so much. slash gymnasium, Lord, that we have converted into a temple of praise. And thank you, Lord, for already speaking to us through, through song. And my prayer, God, is that you will continue to speak. Speak through not Jamel's word, but through your written word. That each and every one of us here today, Lord, may hear exactly what you would have to say to us. Now, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may they be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. We love and thank you. And it's in your name we do say, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a happy praise. Well, good morning uh, to each and every one of you. And um, as Matt mentioned, we start a new series today entitled Past the Love, uh, which uh, was so cleverly named after the period that we uh, just finished where we gather and kind of clash upon one another uh, just to, uh, to spread and show some, some love. And so it's uh, a friend of mine who, uh, who comes and visits frequently, he he uh, says it, and uh, he's my friend, so I could mock him. You can't, uh, but he's uh, he's Korean, and um, and he says, "I love your just the time where you pass the love. It's it's so great. Uh, it's so awkward, but it's so it's like the best thing that you guys do. You can't do that. I can because he's he's my friend, and I do it in his face. But he he says he says what defines one church is that moment there where we where we just we 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 kind of clash. We run into one another uh, to express God's love. And so uh, we decided that this was time for us to, uh, to spend a little time talking about who we are as one church, who we are. We're in a good season. I was telling a friend yesterday that uh, we've, turned, we've turned a bit of a corner that uh, we launched. And, and launches, beginnings are great, right? 
Uh, they're great because people who are somewhat interested, they pop up. People who aren't necessarily interested, they show up because they want to be nosy. And, um, and then people who want to be a part of something, they come to see if this is uh, a place where they want to land. And so uh, we're past that period where the people who are just being nosy, they, they don't care anymore. And uh, there are some people, uh, I got phone calls yesterday, some people who decided this ain't the place for me. And, uh, and about a month ago, I get that phone call and I grieve. Yesterday, I said, well, God bless you, man. I hope that, you know, God sends you to a place where uh, you're supposed to be. Uh, today, however, I love where we are because I figure that if you are here, uh, that this is the place where you feel like God has led you to be. Um, and so what we're going to do for the next six weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be one church. And so as Matt mentioned uh, just a moment ago, there are one or two things will take place. You'll hear for the next six weeks the values, and I pray that you'll show up every week for this, uh, that you'll hear these values and you'll say, yeah, that's cool, but uh, yeah, that ain't kind of what I'm hoping to live. Or you'll hear it and you'll be even more sold, even more bought in uh, to the vision and the mission of what it is that we're doing, which uh, I heard you guys shouting, uh, uh, the vision and the mission, those are important. And so for any plan, in order for the plan uh, to really put feet, uh, together or put feet on it, what you have to do is you have to have uh, some principles or some guardrails, something to help you to live it out. And so our vision is to transform our community as we become more like Jesus. That, that's good. We understand what that means. We want to be a church that's about community transformation. Then we answer, well, how do we do that? Well, the how is we explore who Jesus is. We learn more about him. Uh, we experience God through worship, not just worship here on Sunday mornings, but worship as a lifestyle. you got to take worship with you to work, to school, in your communities. And also we experience God through life, uh, life together in community. We've got to love on each other. Like there's got to be fellowship amongst the saints. Uh, and then lastly, we engage the community around us. The church has to be a church without walls. We can't be limited to whether it's here, whether it's the Avenue Room, whether it's 1212. We cannot be relegated to the four walls. We have to be those who are willing to take the gospel to the streets. But then you always got to ask a second question. Well, then how do you do that? And the way that we do that is through our values. And we have six of them. And uh, today uh, we're going to talk about authenticity. Say authenticity. I just like to make y'all talk. That's how, that's how this is accomplished, through working our values, through our core values. Now, we were thinking about this, and um, if, you're familiar, if you're familiar, if you exercise at all, exercise philosophy tells you this, um, that in order for you to live a truly healthy or fit life, the key to that is by working your core. You work your core. But there's also, which Matt said, we're going to do this consistently, they also say you can never overwork your core. So we're going to work our core today. We're going to start. We're going to exercise authenticity today. But I want you to know, we want you to know, this isn't the last time you're going to hear this. Like this has to live throughout the life of this body as we begin to grow. We learn more about ourselves. So we're going to exercise this. And, of course, we've got that. Now the foundation of all of these things, the vision, the mission, the core values, the foundation of all of them are basically is basically the word of God, the holy scriptures. And so we're going to unpack uh, what authenticity looks like in scripture. Um, we thought that authenticity, however, would be a good place uh, for us to start considering the uniqueness of our congregation, our, our stories. And you know it, it ain't like I got to tell you how we uh, came about. But it would be a good place because in order for one church to be successful, one church must and will be is 
authentic. We have to be naturally authentic to who we are. We want you to be exactly who you're flawed with all of your idiosyncrasies, with all of your tendencies, all of mine, not just you, all, all of us. We want to bring the truest version of ourselves to the table in order for us to make this church be what we believe God called us to be. What we don't want to be is we don't want to be a church full of people who walk through the doors and they put on their Sunday morning mask hoping that people will see their social media identities. No, bring yourself. Don't bring your highlight reel. Bring yourself. I always talk about my granny is here, and I get to see her today. I haven't seen her in, in probably about a year now, and I love my granny. She lives in Ohio, and I'm going to go see her. Never ask granny a question if you don't want to know the truth. Never ask her. Never ask her. You say, granny, how are you doing? She says, woo, baby, these knees. These, don't, these knees just been bothered. Granny, well, Granny, how you feeling? I ain't feeling good, baby. They getting on my nerves. Granny, Granny always tells you the truth. How about we be a church? Rather than walking through the doors and you putting on a mask, if you've had a rough week, man, how you doing? Man, this week sucked. How about we bring the truest version of ourselves to the table? That's, that's who we got to be. I, I watch a show, I used to watch a show uh, on USA called White Collar. And uh, I used to love the show. I used to watch, I've seen actually every episode of it, which is very common of me. Uh, anyway, pray for me. Uh, and uh, the, the, the setup of the show was basically a guy named Neil who was a former thief and criminal who then became a consultant for the FBI. Well, on one particular episode, they used Neil for an art crime, an art theft. And so they go into this museum and they see all this beautiful art, but they notice one piece is gone, but Neil notices there's another piece gone. And he's staring at it, and he's letting them know, no, you're thinking about one piece. This piece right here is not real. It's not authentic. It's fake. And they said, well, how do you know? He says, it's too perfect. He says, great art is great because of its imperfections. And God created us. We are, as the writer in Ephesians said, we are his handiwork, his workmanship. We are God's great art and we are only great because of our imperfections therefore when we when we put our social media identities the purest version of ourselves what we're then not doing is showing off the work that God has done I may not be perfect but Lord if you could only see what God has been doing in my life over the years you'll know that God has been doing some great things I'm not the only one you too can speak and testify to the very same things we have all been shaped and molded by the hand of God. And when we come together as that version of ourselves, I may not have the best diction, I may not dress the best, I may not look the best, but I'll tell you what, God has been doing something in my life. That's what authenticity speaks of. But so that you'll understand that we're within Scripture when we're saying this, I want to share with you a story today that I think will help to make this clear. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your device, uh, you can open it up to uh, the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. If you're unfamiliar with Scripture, don't worry. You don't have to flip too far. It's the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter 4. Uh, and we'll be reading for the New International Version. And as always, it will be available for you on the screen. The book of Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, this is what it says. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? 
Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took the hand of the snake, took hold of the snake and turned it back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his skin appeared leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. Moses put it back, his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile River will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12, now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Amen. For those of you who may not be familiar with this story, perhaps you've seen uh, the Ten Commandments or in, in our, our day and age, um, uh, the Prince of Egypt. Don't see that last version of Noah that was absolutely, or uh, Moses that was horrible, the last Ten Commandments, uh, because it doesn't do a good enough job. Anyway, this is the scene where Moses is having the conversation with God with the burning bush that was never consumed and he's there speaking to God out of the bush. And so this conversation, this discourse between uh, God and Moses is taking place. I really love this because I, I love what God says as he starts out the conversation. He says, I have seen the misery of the people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out with them, and I am deeply concerned. I just love reading that. I love to hear that God sees where we are and that he's concerned about where we are. He wants to do something about it. He then tells Moses that I need you to go back to Egypt and I need you to speak to the most powerful king on the planet at that time. And I need you to go walk up to Pharaoh and tell him, hey, let my people go. That's what I need you to do. I need you to go speak. And then this then starts this lengthy conversation between Moses and God where Moses essentially is trying to prove to God that he is not worthy or able enough to go back uh, to speak to Pharaoh, and not even the Israelites, his own people himself, that he's, he's not good enough. Keep in mind that this guy that we're talking about who says that he is not able to do this, he, not all that long ago, he lived there in the palace. He was amongst royalty. Keep in mind that, that he, he then discovered his people and he, he, he learned more about them. And so it's almost like this lie that he's telling himself. Because he's afraid, he's threatened or fearful about this call that's on his life. And so he then tries to convince God, maybe even himself, that I, I, this could not be me, that I am not the one that you're talking about. And so uh, what happens after that, I believe, is uh, where I want to kind of direct our focus, which speaks to authenticity today, is not the questions um, 
as to whether or not Pharaoh will believe. I don't think that's the, the issue here. It's not even the issue as to whether or not uh, the Israelites or the Hebrews will believe that Moses is the man that God has called. The issue here that we're going to talk about is I'm speaking to you about authenticity as to whether or not Moses believes or better that if you believe that who you are, the way God fashioned and created you is just how he wants you to be as your authentic selves. And so in the conversation, it continues in chapter 4, and you'll see the true issues of Moses as they are surfacing. And the first question that he asked God is this, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Now, what I really believe that Moses is seeing behind this conversation is this. Um, thank you. Uh, what I really believe, I'm fat, so I sweat. Uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that he's really saying is um, not so much that how will they believe, but God, will they believe me? Not will they believe that you sent me, but God, will they believe me? I believe Moses' issue was how he thought that the people was going to look at him. Not what they thought about the God who was sending him or about Pharaoh or about the Hebrews themselves. Moses' issue was himself. So I thought about this, and I thought about the story of Moses. Here it is, this man who was raised up as an Egyptian in Pharaoh's house, who then discovers that he doesn't belong there. And then upon embracing his natural heritage, he then engages in relationship with the people in which he was supposed, what, what, where he was born to. And when he connects with them, he even discovers that he doesn't belong or fit in around them. What a crazy story, right? Well... Have you ever felt like you don't belong, like you don't fit in? Like in, in groups of people, in your family, around your coworkers, your classmates. Have you ever felt like the oddball? Anybody in here? Yeah, yeah. What, what happens? We know you're weird, Sean. It's okay. Um, you ever felt like, like no matter where you go, no matter where you are, you just feel out of place? Being different is different. It's, just, it's challenging, right? Uh, because there's, there's no answer to it because you're having conversations with people and when you don't believe the way that they believe or think the way that they think, it's almost offensive to people if you don't agree with them. So then what happens? Y'all doubled me up. All right. I must be sweating real bad. I'm going to wipe so for y'all. There, one more time. There we go. All right. It's difficult when you find yourself in an environment all the time where when you listen to people speak or when they listen to you speak, you almost disagree or you see things differently. And what happens normally in settings like that is the person who is different is oftentimes deemed as the enemy. Because we disagree, because we are not the same, because we don't have the same worldview. Well, well cool, we must be against each other. That is the culture that media has created, right? That, there, that it always has to be, it has to be this versus that. That it can never be this. You can never disagree but still be together. You always have to be divided. Difference means divided is what our world has taught us. So it's always liberal versus conservative. It's always Democrat versus Republican. It's always straight versus gay, Christian versus atheist. This versus that. It's always some plan to keep us divided because we are different. But the reality is, is that God created us different. Every single one of us, there is not a single fingerprint on the planet that's exactly the same. We are 
different. There are over 100,000 species of a beetle. God is creative, and he has created us different. Therefore, in order for us to truly exist in the form and shape in which God has created us, we must naturally walk into the person that we are if we want to truly glorify God with our lives. God did not create us to be Christian clones. Christians don't have a language. We don't have a walk. We don't have a dress. We don't have nothing should be the same. We should all be able to gather in an environment where if I don't look like, think like, talk like, act like, vote like you, I am me, you are you, and we are God's body. We have to be authentically who we are. So Moses has this issue with himself because it doesn't fit in. God says, I know you fit like a round peg in a square hole, but I still need you to go back. I still need you to do exactly what I say. We are, we are happy to the pond NBA Finals, right? And, uh, and this is about the only time that I watch the NBA basketball. I remember last year, though, around this same time, uh, the conversation about the Cleveland Cavaliers was happening, and uh, they acquired Kevin Love uh, for Kevin Love last year. And uh, Kevin Love got to the team, to the Cavaliers, and he just noticed that he was different. And uh, he told LeBron James, the captain of the team, he says, I just feel like I don't fit in. And LeBron told him, listen, in order for us to be successful, you fitting in isn't an issue. Fit out if that's what you got to do. But bring what you got to bring to the table. You be you. And that's exactly what the team wants to use. You've got to be you because that's exactly who God wants to use. What I love about Moses is this. I love the fact that Moses is completely aware of how flawed he is, that that is a natural part of his story, and he brings all of his flaws to the table as this rejected now shepherd separated from the people. And here comes God, here comes God calling this rejected murderer, this rejected murderer and ask him, I need you to go do what I'm calling you to do. God calls a murderer who has been rejected by the family in which he grew up with, the people that he has derived from. God says, all of your sin, all of your rejection, everything that is a part of your story, I'm calling all of it to the table. Now I need you to do my will. Man, I believe that's the same thing for some of us here. Because some of us think that our past is not even about the fact that we don't fit in or that we think differently. God is calling some of us in spite of your past. Whatever your story may be, whatever your trials may be, whatever your storms, wherever you come from, God says, listen, I know who you are. I know the deepest parts of you. I know the depths of your soul. And since I know that I'm still calling you. Because I still want to use you with all of your brokenness, with all of your idiosyncrasies, with all of those things that people said that I cannot use. I want all of that, and I want to use that for you to become a part of my story. And so Moses doesn't understand us. We often don't understand, and he asks the question, well, God, how can this be? How can you use me? This is what he's asking God. How, how can you use me? And so God, God asks him this simple question. I love this question. He asked Moses, this broken, murderous shepherd in the, in the wilderness, he asked Moses this, well, what's that in your hand? <laughs> Moses says, a staff. God says, take what you have in your hand and throw it down. 
Moses threw it down and the staff turned into a snake and, and he ran away from it. And God says, come on back here. Now I want you to take that thing that you fear and I want you to reach down. I want you to grab it by its tail. And the staff, the snake turned back into a staff. Moses says, how are you going to use me? God says, what's, what's in your hand? I'm, I'm going to take an instrument of your brokenness. Because when he was rejected, when he was left for dead, when he, was, uh, 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 when he was told to leave or run away from Egypt, he became a shepherd. That, that staff was a sign of his rejection, of his past story, of the life that he settled into away from God. God says, listen, I'm going to take that symbol of your brokenness, that symbol of your story, and I'm going to use what's in your hand to become a part of the greater story of you. Here's what I'm saying for you. Maybe that don't connect for you. Here's what I'm saying. There's some Parts of your story, there's parts of your, your past, things that happened inside of your life. And because you were rejected, you were broken by family members, you were left alone, you were, people turned their backs on you. But what happened for so many of us, the person that we are today was because of the story that we had to endure out of that brokenness. Now all of a sudden you're much smarter. All of a sudden you make wiser decisions. You're better with money. You learn how to walk well with your heart. You learn how to love people better. God says, I took you through all of that. Now I want you to use what I shaped and created inside of you for my glory. What's in your hand? What do you have in your hand? Brokenness? Let me show you how to use that brokenness to love other broken people. What's in your hand? Crime? Let me show you how I can rehabilitate the worst of these and use them for my glory. What's in your hand? This is, uh, this is classic Yahweh. Classic Yahweh. Moses has been in the wilderness essentially refining his skills because God used him as a shepherd Use him as a shepherd so that he can then turn around and learn to lead his people. Shepherd these sheep so that I can then turn around and use that same skill set you've developed in the wilderness to lead your people out of their wilderness. Classy God, classy God. But God wasn't through there. He says to staff, throw it down. But if they don't understand that, I want you to take your hand I want you to stick it inside your cloak and pull it out. And Moses did it, and his, his hand became leprous. It, it, it reflected a skin disease. And, and he says, well, before you freak out, stick it back in your hand, in your cloak, pull it out, and his hand was completely healed. He says, and if that's not enough, uh, I want you to know about the Nile River. Take, take some water from the Nile River and throw it to the ground, and when you do, the, the water will, will then turn to blood. This is how they'll know. What I want you to know is that God was not performing a private magic show for Moses. This wasn't like God showing off his skill. He wasn't, he wasn't showing off for Moses. But there's symbolism in each and every one of these miracles. Take, for instance, the first one we talked about, the staff throwing down. Notice what the staff turned into when it hit the ground. It turned into a serpent. Well, you know what the serpent is a symbol of? It's a symbol of the enemy. We know that because of the book of Genesis. The serpent symbolizes, it's a tool that the enemy, that Satan used, the adversary used. And so God says, take the staff, throw it down. You're going to see the enemy, the serpent, the adversary on the ground. But I want you to know, you don't have to fear him. Come back and grab the serpent, and the serpent then can be used for what you need to do. What about the leprous hands? Well, uh, in ancient times, they believed the only ones who could have control 
control over disease were the gods, little g, gods. And so what God says, Yahweh says to Moses is this, stick your hand in there. You see this disease that you have? Stick it back, in your, stick it back inside your cloak and it'll come back healed. I want you to know that the gods don't have power over disease. I've got power over all things. And what about the Nile River? The Nile River, the Nile River was the source of life for the Egyptians. And so what God was saying to Moses through the Nile River miracle is this. Not only do I have power over the enemy, Satan, the adversary, but I also have power over your enemy, the Egyptians. Put it all together with God has said this. I'm big enough. Strong enough to handle the adversary, the serpent, so you don't have to fear him. I'm powerful enough that whatever disease or harm that could come your way, I can control that. I'm also strong enough, I'm great enough that I can defeat your enemy. So there's nowhere that you can go, nothing that you can do, nothing that you can encounter that's too big enough, too strong enough, or too great enough for me. I am Yahweh God, and I have got all these things in control. So Moses... You're worried about how are people going to believe you? They don't have to believe you. You simply have to believe in me. So Moses has two arguments. The first one here was about his qualifications, whether or not he was worthy of this assignment. And that's a major challenge of being called by God, right? I mean, this attitude... You find it all during scripture. Um, Jacob felt so unworthy, so unqualified to be called by God, he literally wrestled all night until God had to, had to cripple him in order for him to receive the call. Isaiah felt so unworthy, so unclean that he said, I can't move until you clean me up, God. I'm just not worthy of it. Jeremiah felt so unworthy because of his youthfulness. I'm not smart enough. What can I say to people? I'm too young. God, what can you do? You see it all through that. But what you see from God at each and every occasion is this. It doesn't matter about your story. The most important thing is my call. Whoever you are, God says, I want to use that. I know that part of who you are. Now let me use that for my story. God wants to use you, flaws and all. I thought about this, man, uh, just reflecting on the message. And uh, and I remember when I was a, 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 how do I say this, a young-er preacher, because I'm not old, young-er preacher. And um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And when you're a young preacher, one of the things that many of us, most of us try to do is we try to emulate some of the preachers that we admire around the world. Now, um, for some of my vanilla brothers and sisters, there's this thing uh, in the chocolate church that's called hooping or tuning. And, um, and so I love, man, some good tuning. Now, I can hoop a little bit, but I can't tune at all because tune requires a little bit of a voice. And uh, I, I, my voice is gone right now because of sickness, but even at the healthiest state, a bro can't tune at all. <laughs> but I just thought on one day, I had a speaking engagement, I'm going to let it go. <laughs> I'm going I'm to tune up. And, uh, and I'm going to be ready. And uh, this is, I was probably about a year into preaching. And uh, I had an engagement at another church. And I just figured, man, I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot. I was practicing in the car, practicing in the shower. And I'm going to let it go. So I'm preaching, man. The message seems to be going good, at least to my knowledge. And, uh, and I got a one good point. And, uh, and I, I was going to hit this note. And I was going to tune up, man. And I don't know if somebody stepped on a cat or if. A little boy who was going through puberty, his voice cracked. Something happened terribly wrong. The organist looked at me crazy. I just tried to figure out how to sit down because clearly 
God, God, God didn't call me to tune. And so that was my first and last time doing that. What I had to learn from that lesson is basically this. When God called me to preach, God called Jamel to preach. And what I had to do in order to be the best preacher that I could be was learn what God wanted to use inside of fear. So I can't tune at all. I, I just won't. I just, I just won't. I just can't. But what I've got to do is I've got to figure out who I am. And some of us struggle so much with the issue of who we are, thinking that God wants us to be like somebody else, that we miss the fact of giving God all of us. God doesn't want you to be like whomever it is that you admire in your field. God wants to use you because the only reason they are who they are is because they gave themselves to God. And God can maximize you with all of the differences that make up who you are for greatness. I love that because Colossians tells me that in whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord. If I do it as an act of worship, then God has to find pleasure in it. And God will help me to maximize it the best that I can. But I can't do it trying to be like somebody else. You can't do it trying to be like somebody else. Be the best version of you. Learn from people, of course. Yeah, learn, learn. Pick up all types of tools and tips, the tricks of the trade, all those things. But be the best version of you. Be authentically you. I love this. Moses didn't get that, though. So in verse, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. I love this. Uh, one of my favorite comedies uh, is Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. And uh, after one of his races, he stands uh, before uh, the guy, and he says something rude, and he says, and with all due respect. And the guy says, well, you can't say mean stuff and just layer it with all due respect and think you can get away from it. He says, well, yes, you can. And I kind of feel like this is what Moses is doing. After God says, this is, this is all the things that I can do, Moses almost says, well, God, I know you're great, no, but with all due respect, God, with all due respect, pardon me, Lord, your servant. Uh, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow with speech and tongue. I, I was puzzled by this. Moses, God, God just took a stick. And turn it to a snake and back into a stick. God, God just turned your hand into leprosy and then healed it right in front of your face. And God showed you that he can take water and turn it into blood just by saying so. And you worried about how well you speak? <laughs> Do you not know who you're talking about? But I'm glad I, I didn't have to defend God. Because listen to what God says, says to Moses. Who gave human beings their mouth? And who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you to speak and will teach you what to say. I love these moments in Scripture right here. I call them, I call them, I've got a name for them. I've labeled them as God flexes. Times in Scripture where God unapologetically flexes his power on humanity to let them know just how great he is. You see it all through Scripture. You see in Job, in Job, the book of Job, chapter 38, as Job has kind of gotten himself into a puzzle, he's, he's twisting himself in his thinking, listening to his friends and to his wife, and God speaks to Moses like a daddy, the way that a daddy should. He says, boy, listen, sit and listen to a man and listen to what I got to say. And when I, answer, when I ask you a question, you answer it. He says, where were you? When I created the heavens and the earth, where were you when I told the waters to go this far and to not go any further? Where were you? I love that God flexes his power. He talks about being the creator of the heavens and the earth and hanging the moon and the stars. And he looks at Moses. Moses says, I, I've never been able to speak well. Now, 
I have a problem with that too, by the way. Because God didn't say go make some big grandiose speech. He simply says, go to Pharaoh and say one line. Let my people go. Four words. And go to the people of Israel and say this. The great I am sent me. Five words. He didn't say go make these great speeches. But simply let them know who sent you. But the problem that humanity often runs into is rather than focusing on the sender, the creator, the source, we get caught up in the resource. And so we think that our jobs create us. We think that our bank accounts create us. We think that our personality or our education or our lack thereof, whatever it may be, that those are the things, the tools that we are equipped with when we go forward. What God says is this, don't worry about what you're lacking, worry about what you're packing, which is essentially this, worry about me that I am the one who is with you. You worried about speech? Well, for talking, I gave men their mouths. You want to talk about sight? I gave people the ability to be, to see or to not have sight. Oh, you, you worried about, you worried about talking. You worried about all these things. All those things came from me. I gave those things to you. So God makes it clear then that whoever you are, wherever you're from, Whatever you lack, whatever you have, whatever is in your story, it is all wrapped up in who I am and not inside of you. So, man, man, what does that mean for one church and authenticity? I'm glad you asked. Give you this last principle, and I'm going to take my seat. It is simply this. In order for us to fully embrace and to walk in this call here, in order for you to be a part of this story that we are shaping and forming, that we're beginning here, there's only one requirement. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you have, whatever you lack, whatever you know, whatever you don't know, whoever you are is exactly what we want at the table. Whether you can sing or can't, whether you can work an instrument or not, whether you are skilled in certain areas or not, none of those things are important. What's important is that you're a child of God. And the last time I checked, all of humanity were children of God. We simply want you just as you are, authentically you, however you are, ghetto, bougie, whatever it may be, let it all be whoever you are. Bring it all to the table. We've been watching you. We've been watching you. We, we go, we travel, Matt and I, and people ask, the first thing they ask about is like, how is worship? We say, worship is weird. They say, why is it weird? I said, people don't know whether to stand or to clap or to not. They don't know if they can sing or dance. They don't know what to do. And they say, well, what do you tell them? We don't tell them anything. Figure it out yourself. <laughs> if you like to sing, sing. If you like to clap, clap. If you like to stand, stand. If you like to sit and be solemn, sit and be solemn. If you like to sing with the praise and do. If you want to walk and shout, walk and shout. If you want to be there in your corner, be quiet, be quiet. If you're an introvert, be an introvert. Extrovert, be an extrovert. Whoever you are, be exactly who you are. That's what one church is. We are not trying to create a church where we all are the same. One church cannot be monolithic of the same kind. We must be different, authentically who you are. And if the person next to you is different, then we are accomplishing exactly what God called us to accomplish. God used a man who was a murderer, 
who was rejected. And he says, I need you to do one of the greatest tasks in all of history. So much so, it, it is celebrated not only in biblical history, but, but extra biblical history. They write about it. I want, you, I want you to become a part of a story that will live throughout the rest of time. And I want you to do that because I know who you are. For, for you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. for the work in which he called you to. So check this out. And I'm closing with this. I know I say that a lot. Um, Moses' story was this. He was rejected, felt unworthy and unappreciated. And God uses him to go back to lead these people who were in Egypt, who were rejected underappreciated and felt like there was no hope. Moses' story that made him the great leader was fashioned in the wilderness. And he didn't know what God was doing with him in the wilderness. And as broken as he felt, God was using that to create the leader that he is. I believe that for each and every one of us that is here today, your story is a part of what God wants to use so that you can go back and get the people of Israel God's called you to. There are people who have similar stories. There are people who have similar backgrounds. There are people who feel, look like, just like you, whatever your story may be. And they need to know that God chooses them as well. And who better to go back and tell broken Hebrews about a good God than a broken Hebrew? And who better to tell somebody like you about a God who can do all things than you? Be authentically you. Don't walk through these doors and thinking that we have some expectation of you being like us. If you know Matt and I, we are different as different is. Um, and not just even uh, ethnically, like we're different in a whole lot of other ways. You got to be like us. Be you. So if you're here today and you've been pondering as to whether or not this is the place for you, that's step number one of your understanding authenticity I don't think that's difficult so let me let me pray for us the worship team is going to lead us again I'm going to ask that you stand now and um, if today um, if today you feel like um, I want to be a part of that um, we're going to close out Matt's going to close us out uh, but if you want to see either Matt, myself, or Angel, um, and you say, okay, yeah, I want to be a part of that church, we'd love to receive you. Or you can fill out one of the communication cards and make sure uh, that it gets to one of us. Thank you.